Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin. With me, as always, Steve Prudian. And today, we're taking a break from our break. We interjected prayer into Ecclesiastes, and now we're interjecting something else. It's still about prayer, though. It is still about prayer. Just that it's hidden. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. It's called the mystery of prayer. Yep. I'm just trying to keep everybody on their toes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anyways, today we are in Psalm 100, specifically verse 4. Uh, before we get into that, though, Steve, uh, do you have a good week? Week off, even? It's more tiring to have a week off. I had a good week, but it was exhausting. <laughs> I need to come back and go to my regular work, okay, because I, at least I know what, what, out of what I'm in for each week. Uh, fair okay. enough. When I'm a stranger yep. in a strange land, it is strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, they think you're as strange as you think they are. Um, anyway, so Psalm 100, verse 4. I want to read the verse, and then I'll get into the story behind it. All right, I'm going to read the whole thing. That's fine. Because the psalm is only five verses. That's right. And then I'll read the set, and I'll read it again a second time, and just pull that out. So, Psalm 100: Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is He that made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And boy, does that sound like a song. I'm sure it has been put to music mm -hmm. many times. A lot of the psalms have been put to music. Yep. This one, this one even, even without it, is just very musical. Okay, so I'm going to pull out just specifically... What kind of a book is psalms? Well, it's poetry. It's poetry. So you put poetry to music exactly. and you have a song. Yes. Um, so enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. That's our, that's our focus today. Right. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. That rolls off of the tongue really nice. So what is it about this particular verse, Steve, that, well, that a, caught you? There's a story that lends the verse more active meaning. Okay. Here's the story. Not all people who are Christians really know how to talk to God. They don't have a clue on really how to pray. And praying is just nothing more than the word talking to God. Mm -hmm. Many times, because of what we've seen portrayed about prayer, it seems to be a long, lengthy, wordy liturgy <laughs> that seems to go on and on, but it goes nowhere. Right. So that kind of discourages people 
because they don't want to do that. Or they don't know how to do that. Or they don't know how to, but it was never meant to be that difficult. No, it was not. Okay. A child can pray. Mm -hmm. And how vast is the vocabulary of a child? It's very small. Very small, but God will hear a child's prayer. Yes. And you know what? No matter what age we are, we are still children. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't complicate the thing. Right. It's interesting that you can go to a Christian Bible college and spend four years there and still not know how to pray. Yep. You can also go to seminary, and now they've taken prayer and they've actually stepped it up to a different level. But you haven't even mastered the basics yet. <laughs> right. So this is where the story begins. Okay. I was a little baffled about what an effective prayer would be. Okay. On the most disciplines, there's usually a strategy, there's a plan, yep. there's a formula. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't understand how people prayed because I couldn't find any standard formula. Now, I've been able to read prayer books that different denominations have where they have printed prayers. Right. And I know what their subject is, but they seem to be like stale bread. They're right. not yours. They're not fresh. And it's like, I don't want to read somebody else's words because that's not saying what I really need to say. So one day, I made an observation. I made an observation that the one person in the whole world that made a difference to me as far as his faith in God and his devotion to Jesus Christ was living proof, okay, of his maturity as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I was at this point in time, I'd only been a Christian for five years. So I knew that I had a lot to learn, and this person was 73 years old. So he had a few years on me. Right. Okay, like maybe 50. <laughs> <laughs> so I said to him, because I would notice whenever I would come into seminary in the morning, I'd come through the back parking lot, and his door was right off, his office was right off the back parking lot, and mm -hmm. he'd always be on his knees against his chair, even though he had a comfortable sofa, and he had a desk and a desk chair, he'd be on his knees at a rickety old wooden chair, mm -hmm. and he'd be praying every morning. Right. So I inquired one day. The man's name was Robert Hughes. Okay. I said, Dr. Hughes, and he says, yeah, I says, I, I get a question. And he says, what's that? I says, you're old. I says, why do you get down on your knees every morning when I'm coming through the door? And why are you praying on your knees when you have a sofa and you have a perfectly good chair behind your desk? Mm -hmm. He says, he says, it's my position of devotion. I says, explain that to me. He says, I could stay comfortable. He says, but I don't want to be comfortable. He says, I want to show my devotion to God by getting on my knees. 
I says, why? He says, Jesus got on his knees when he prayed to his father. I says, did he have to do that? He says, no, he didn't have to do that. And nobody says you have to get on your knees to pray. He says, but he says, if in fact it was good for Jesus, he says, it's good for me. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, I said, I see you praying an awful lot. He says, yeah. I said, what do you pray about? He says, well, he says, I pray about pretty much everything. Okay. I said, uh, why? He said, because he says, I can't control anything. I said, so prayer is about control? He says, no, prayer is about giving over my will to his will Mm -hmm. and letting him control Okay. Yep. I said, how do you know you're getting through? Okay. I said, did he get a memo back or something? How do you know you're getting through? (laughs) (laughs) And he says, you know, he says, your question doesn't surprise me. He says, I've been around for a long time. And he says in that um, most people who believe in Jesus Christ, they believe in Jesus Christ. He said, but they don't know that Jesus Christ is the way to talk to the Father. I said, well, I always thought you just prayed to Jesus Christ. And he says, you can, and Jesus Christ can take you to the Father. However, that is not cut in stone. Right. He says, you can actually pray to the Father, Mm -hmm. and the Father will hear your prayer. I said, really? And he says, yeah. I says, so you don't have to go through Jesus? He says, you can. He says, but you don't have to. Right. He says, in fact, he says, the spirit within you probably prays more than you think for you. Definitely prays more than you think for and, you. And, 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 and not a word is spoken, maybe an occasional sneeze or grunt. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sat and I thought about this. I thought about this a day went by or two days went by and I went in after my thinking. And I said, Dr. Hughes, and he says, what? I says, can you show me, I says, how you do this? I says, I watch everybody else pray from the pulpit, and um, I hear these prayers that really don't make any sense in many cases. I says, can you show me, I says, how you can get God's attention? I, he says, yes, he says, I can show you that. So he says... I want you to go to Psalm 100, verse 4. Okay. Okay. And we went to Psalm 100. I says, I says what's the formula there? He says, it's all about being present. Yes, it is. I says, what do you mean being present? He says, you have to be front and center. Mm-hmm. You have to be present. I says, well, I says... How's God going to find me when he has a lot of other people to listen to at the same time? He says, well, he says, you've underestimated the power of the Spirit that lives within you. Most definitely. I says, well, how's that? He says, do you not know the person of the Holy Spirit? Kind of I do. He says, well, he says, you know, he says, that Holy Spirit has God's ear because it's part of God. Right. Oh, really? And he says, yeah. He says, but he says, there's a formula. Okay. 
I says, really? He says, yeah. He says, the disciples had the same problem. And they spent a few little bit of time with Jesus, and they couldn't figure out how to pray either. Right. So they said to Jesus, you know, we try praying, but we're not so sure if we're doing it right. Can you show us how to pray? So, of course, then Jesus showed the disciples the steps to follow in order to pray according to God's will. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean? What do you mean of praying according to God's will? <laughs> I says, I thought I was making the request here. He says, well, he says, you can make the request, but your request is not going to go anywhere unless you're praying with God's will, which is the attitude to pray in. I says, okay, I'm listening. I says, but I kind of agree, but I want to get a handle on this. So I says, show me where the handles are to make this work. He says, well, first of all, he says, you have to come before God sincerely. Mm -hmm. Okay. He says, I'm not saying, he says, you can't do a Peter prayer. You know what a Peter prayer is? What's a Peter prayer? Save me. <laughs> right. So I says, yep. I says, okay. He says, so he says, you have to be ready. He says, to encounter Father God. He says, in order to encounter Father God, he says, you got to understand where he dwells. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a hard thing to fathom, where he dwells. Where does God dwell? And so he says, well, he says, you know, he says, you think that God is far away. He says, but God is right with you. Mm -hmm. You just can't see him. And he says, sometimes he gives you a little pinch or a little nudge to get your attention, just to let you know that he's close by. And I says, oh, really? And he says, yeah. He says, so, he says, according to that verse, he says, what's your attitude? I says, you got to have attitude when you pray? He says, oh, yeah. He says, you got to come in the right spirit of things. Mm -hmm. And that's attitude. I says, all right. I says, you going to show me how you do this? He says, sure. He says, I don't have another chair. He says, so you can get over there on the sofa and get on your knees. I wasn't expecting a physical exercise. <laughs> but I says, well, if it's good for him, I says, and he's willing, I says, I guess I'll do that too. Yep. So he starts, and he starts thanking God for all kinds of things, things that I would normally take for granted. Mm-hmm. Okay. He would thank God for the fact that he woke up this morning with the ability and the privilege to say, here I am, God, what do you want for another day? I said, and then he would say things like he would thank God for all of the bountiful resources that he's given him in the past and that he's even has a store for him for today and for the future. Hmm. And I was learning about that thanksgiving is gratitude. Yes. Thanksgiving is gratitude. And after he got done with thanksgiving, then he started this whole process of praising God 
for who he is and what he's done and what he will do and for his graciousness and for his peace. And he looked at me and he says, how you doing over there? <laughs> I says, well, I says, I'm still on my knees here and I haven't gone any place. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he says, well, he says, I get a little more experience to you. And he says, right now, he says, I'm in the throne room of God and he says and Jesus is over here and God is over here and the apostles over here and the elders over here. I says all of that he says yeah he says I didn't even mention the, the angels and the angels choir he says and I didn't even mention two guys you know about two guys I know yeah he says you know about them who are they he says well he says they're the um, um, seraphim I said, I don't know any seraphim. Sure you do. He says, you took my 101 Old Testament, didn't you? I says, yeah. Mm -hmm. He says, don't you remember those guys? Uh, no, not particular. He says, they're part of the Ark of the Covenant. I says, what does that have to do with this whole discussion? He says, do you know where God sits? I says, on the Ark? He says, no, 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 he's, he's, that's symbolism. That's just right. representative. He says, but he says, tell me, what is God sitting on? I says, well, I says, everybody knows that God has a throne. He says, yeah, God is sitting on a throne. He says, what's the throne's name? I didn't know the thrones had a name. He says, oh, yeah, God has given his throne a name. And he even told Moses what the name of his throne was. I says, really? He says, what is it? He says, it's called the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. I says, the, the throne is called the mercy seat? And he says, yeah. And I says, is that supposed to mean something? It should. He says, well, he says, if God didn't have mercy, he says, we wouldn't be in his presence. We would not. He says, and the fact is, is he says, a lot of people are afraid of God, but they don't understand that God rules for mercy. We don't get what we deserve. Mm -hmm. He says, do you know that what emerges from the mercy seat? I said, mercy? He says, no, far greater than mercy. He says, there's another description to the same throne in the Word of God. I says, the throne has two names? <laughs> and he says... Yeah, he says, and don't tell me the the white throne. He says that's safe. Right. He says that's safe for later for a different purpose. He right. says, but he says, have you ever heard the expression the throne of grace? Yep. Uh, I've heard of that word before. He says, and what do you think grace is? I says that could be a whole lot of things. He says, well, he says in the simplest terms, he says. What do you think grace is? I says, experiencing the gifts of God that we don't deserve only because it comes out of his abundance of love because he has mercy for us. He says, well, he says, that, that's pretty good hand. That's a pretty, pretty good start. Yeah, it is. I says, so Dr. Hughes, I says, um, I says, I'm not experiencing what you're experiencing here. I says, maybe I need more practice. 
He says, you definitely need more practice. Mm -hmm. I said, so I just tell me. I says, why is this important? He says, well, that psalm right there. I says, between the Lord's Prayer and that psalm right there, it tells you what kind of frame of mind you got to be in. It tells you what you need to be thankful for. It tells you what you should be praying for. They don't necessarily have to be in order, but you shouldn't forget them. And he said that um, that one of the things he says that'll change your life forever is he says if you humble yourself and you invest yourself to go directly to the throne room of God rather than uh, wallow around in self-pity in this life. Mm-hmm. He says the close, the more you know about God and the better you know him, you'll know the types of prayers that please him in the types of prayers that he'll answer. I says, you mean there's types of prayers? He says, yeah. He says, and I gave this to Rob the other day because he asked me a question. And um, um, here's a clue. It's uh, John uh, 15, verses 5 and 8. And who would think that a farming story would have something to do with, okay, how you approach God. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jesus was kind of interesting. He would uh, talk about things to people that they could relate to right. because they were familiar with these things because it's the area that they grew up in. Right. In this particular case, it's about a grapevine. Yep. And this is out of the NLT. It says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Mm-hmm. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings glory to God, my Father. I says, and? He says, you gotta stay connected, son. <laughs> he says, he, sa- <laughs> he says, if you decide, if you decide to go take a hike, and mm-hmm. go do something on your own. He says, you're going to miss it. Yep, you will. He says, now, he says, you might be able to accomplish something on your own. He says, but God can accomplish a whole lot more if you stay connected. Yep. He says, you're, he says, you're shortcutting the thing. And he says, and unfortunately, he says, most people who go to church do not know how to pray. Nope. They shortcut they things. They do not know anything about the mercy seat and the throne of grace. They do not know how to enter into even through the gate. And that's by gratitude, thanksgiving. Right. And he says, but once you get through the gate, he says, now he says, you've got to get to the throne room. And there is only one sound that God wants to hear. God wants to hear the praise that you have for him and his son. Yep. And he wants to hear the greatest mention of gratitude. And you know what the greatest mention of gratitude is? What's that? Thankfulness for the sacrifice of his son. Oftentimes we get in God's face asking for this and asking for that. But you know what? God's not impressed with the things we're asking for because of the very fact is that we have to acknowledge the sacrifice his son made. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. Then you learn about praying the will of God 
over your own will. Yep. But sometimes what's interesting is, is God will tell you what his will is. And then it, it's up to you to be able to agree with him. Right. What his will is. And then that's the kind of prayer that God can answer. So if that's the kind of prayer that God can answer, what about the other prayers? He'll hear them. Mm-hmm. But the answer is usually what? There's three answers. Not yet. Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> so that is my thought about that. But the reason I bring that up. Okay. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. Okay, apart from me, you can do nothing. And how many times have we tried to start a program and we thought we could do it from our academics, from our, our schooling, our special training, and it had fall flat, fallen flat on its face, not work, okay? I've done that plenty of times. All the numbers are there that they taught you to, in school, but nobody's buying into it. Right. You know what? Jesus played a trick on his disciples. Did you know Jesus played a trick on his disciples? No. Yeah, here's, here's, the, here's the object lesson that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. All right. After they'd been with him for about two and a half years, Jesus one day says, well, fellas, I'm staying in camp today. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got work out there in that town, so I'm going to send you guys out two by two, and you just go do what I do. Yep. And the day came to an end, and they came waddling back in the camp. And what did Jesus say? What was the question? How'd it go? Yeah, how'd it go? Yeah. And they said, well, we did exactly what you did. We told the same stories that you told, but not much happened. We can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, well, he says, you're missing a key ingredient. And they said, well, we did everything that you would do. Why didn't anything happen? He says, well, he says, things don't happen without much fasting and prayer, or prayer and fasting. Right. And the disciples hadn't thought about that. But the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach the disciples, it's not what they thought they know, okay? Mm -hmm. They didn't pray to the Father for the help that they needed to exercise what they thought they knew. So, if that was yeah, that yeah, it kind of it kind of makes me think of like in the business world. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can go around and as a police officer, I had people name drop all the time. Right? Somebody would say, "Well, I know the mayor, or I know this person, I know that person." It's like great, you can they can explain your ticket to you. You know, um, but in in business, when it's not, I'm going to change that saying just a little bit, because it's not really who you know, it's who knows you. Uh -huh. Because it doesn't matter if I've met the president of the United States, I can say I've met the president of the United States. That's it. But will the president ever go? Will he ever say to a crowd of people, hey, I met that guy. He was pretty cool. No, because he's not going to remember me. 
He's not going to remember some random name in a handshake. As much as I will. Now, if you have a meaningful conversation and there's a relationship there, there are people that the president knows. And people know the president knows these people. And that means something. Now, in a secular world, usually what it means is they get away with things they shouldn't. But in a, in a spiritual world, in the Christian world, when God knows who we are, then we carry the authority of God and the demons flee. And that's, that's what you're referencing. Jesus sends them out. They come back. They can't get rid of this one demon. We've done all these things. This one demon just won't leave. They couldn't even heal one person. Right. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? We can't get rid of this one thing. And so, and Jesus says, well, that type of demon only comes out with much prayer and much fasting. And, of course, he's able to eliminate it right away and send it on its way. Because he's in the right position with his father. Because he's in the right, because he's in the right position. Why? We recognize and we know who is in the president's good graces or who is in, who, who is known by that person of authority. Right. So, so even, even in a family structure, right. I know who all my dad's friends are. Some random person who my dad has met once comes up and says, yeah, I know your dad. I, that's great. Wonderful. I'm glad for you. I don't know you because I know everybody my father knows but I don't know who you are. So we need the Father to know us. We need to spend enough enough time with the Father for the Father to know us so that we can be recognized by somebody on the outside. Because the demons know everybody that God knows. They recognize um, later um, in the book of Acts... Um, some people are trying to drive out some demons and they laugh at them. I think they're in Ephesus. And these disciples, or these young Christians, immature Christians, are trying to drive out demons and they're being laughed at. And they go, why do you laugh at us? Why do you mock us? Well, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. Because Jesus is known by the Father, and Paul is known by the Father, and the demons know who the Father knows, and so they weren't recognized. So I think you're absolutely 100% hitting it on the head. We have to be spending time in the throne room of God. We have to spend time there. And I I like that perspective on this verse, that uh, it kind of starts with, get your head right and get your heart right. And then what you say will be right. Um, and so if you, if you're new to doing this, it's something that you can just, it's part of the reason why we close our eyes 
when we pray and we say okay I want to be in the throne room of God and picture uh, Revelation 4 and 5 give a great description of the throne room so you can try and picture something from so that. does Isaiah Isaiah does as well right so you can picture that throne room and you can try and put yourself there and you enter with praise and you get your heart right and you go okay this is the guy more powerful than any president any ruler any leader any person has ever been in the history of civilization this guy's over all of it and kind of put on that humility and put on that you're everything the only reason I have anything is because of you and you get your heart right and then like I say it's almost kind of flows naturally then that what comes out of your mouth is right you know the actual prayer because at that point you have nothing to say but praise and thanksgiving and to worship God I am going to flip just a little bit Unless you have something to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears on us. Do you know you have to get dressed to talk to God? Ooh. Did you know that you have to get dressed to talk to God? Tell me more. The Word of God says that you have to put on the garment of praise. Hmm. And that you have to actually make a sacrifice wearing the garment of praise. Interesting. Before God. Hmm. Very there, interesting. There is an attire to heaven. It's a spiritual attire. Yes. Because we have a spiritual God. Yes. And even though the throne room is a very real place, we're still here on earth. Mm-hmm. But we have to be represented by the Holy Spirit with proper decor, covering, humility. And our entrance is not by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's whole purpose is to bring glorification to Jesus Christ. And in bringing glorification to Jesus Christ, it brings glorification to God the Father. Yes, it does. It's actually a double thank you. And sometimes we neglect one and go right to the other. Mm-hmm. And we're not thanking the really the triune God, mm-hmm. right. okay, that that we know that he is. Um, the reality is, is, is that it requires that we lock ourselves away from the world and entering into this moment and time of prayer. It should block out the concerns we have about the world, even though we may be praying about some of the concerns in the world. But it's all too often to get interrupted while we pray. It's interesting. It's interesting if you take a look at uh, the ancient Hebrews, how they prayed. Do you know how they prayed, Dustin? How did they pray, Steve? Well, what they would do is, is they would look up to heaven eyes wide open Mm -hmm. they hold their hands up 
and they would offer a prayer like they were offering a sacrifice to God. Yep. And that is called the sacrifice of prayer. Okay. Lift, yep. Lifting it up. Okay. I don't know where and when we started closing our eyes to pray, other than the fact that we are easily distracted. Actually, um, unless I'm mistaken in my recall, um, that practice started in the mid-late 1800s. And it was a way to get children to pray undistracted. So fold your hands. So your hands are together. They're occupied. They're in your lap. And then you close your eyes so that you can't see what anybody else is doing. So it was a way for to get children to sit still during prayer in Sunday school or parochial school or wherever that practice started. And it was a, I don't remember, it was a, one of the major Reformation type denominations that kind of started that. And it's just come to permeate things. Um, but the Bible doesn't say, close your eyes. I, um, and actually there are places I can't, I couldn't tell you exactly where right off of the top of my head. Um, so if you're listening to this, that's, uh, that's a challenge to you. Go find them where it says, pray with holy hands lifted up. It's one of the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Maybe more than one, but... It's interesting that one time, um, you've been to seminary, Dustin. More or less. And uh, part of your seminary training, I don't know if yours, but with mine, we had to go and we had to visit multiple different types of Christian churches. Yes. One of the churches I went into, I thought I was going to a funeral. Yes. And so I went there, okay, as, as part of my assignment, just to observe. By observing, you learn, and then you report back what you've observed. Mm-hmm. I went to this church. Um, I can't even remember the denomination. It's not one of the mainline denominations. It's a smaller denomination. And all the people, they came in the church. They went to their place in the sanctuary, and they just sat, and it was quiet. And they prayed. There was some music in the background, but nobody was talking. And this was very strange because mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't like we experienced where we have everybody's talking to everybody until worship service begins. Right. So I right had, until after I come out and say good morning. So I had to, right. I had to, I had to ask. I was it just drove. It, it kind of was driving me nuts. I says, "Is this all there is? This this is it." Because I didn't know what was going to happen next. So after it was all over, I found somebody, and I says, I says, I've never been in a church like this before. I says, can you tell me why it is that all the people come in and they go to a seat, and some are on their knees and some are in the seats, but everybody's quiet and they're praying. A little bit of nice music in the background. I says, what's that all about? And he says, oh, he says it's called 
uh, the sanctity of the sanctuary. Sanctity of the sanctuary. I say, I know what a sanctuary is. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's like a worship center. I says, but what's this thing called sanctity? He says, oh. He says, that's being still coming into the presence before God. He says, with intent right. and with humility. And he says, and you do that by coming in silently and not interrupting anybody else and humbling yourself before God in prayer. Right. He says, and then when everybody is done finished doing that, he says, then we start the worship service. He says, it's about getting everybody right to begin with because you won't get much out of the worship if you're not right before God when you enter into his house. You know, it's interesting that you that you've kind of taken that tack because you sent me this verse with no other information. Mm -hmm. And I know you do that on purpose and I love it. Um, so I read this and as I'm reading enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name I'm, I'm picturing in my head somebody coming into a city right you're entering his gates you're entering into his city you're coming into his court so now you've traversed the city and you are at the palace and you are coming into the court of the king and I'm really picturing this in a very physical, real way. And, you know, you give thanks to him and you bless his name. And, you know, I think about all the all the medieval, feudal King Arthur type shows and movies that I've watched over the years because I'm kind of a nut for those things. Um, and usually when people come into the court, especially... Um, like a messenger or a vassal from another kingdom. They usually come in very prim, very proper. They're dressed up, pomp and circumstance. They come into the court and they come up to the throne and they kneel. Oh, great and mighty king. You know, or however they greet, there's usually that, that blessing, that thanking. And it got me thinking. That's how we should be coming into church. On Sunday morning, we should be walking out of the parking lot into that door like we are coming into that kingdom. We are walking through the gates into that kingdom. And when we come into the worship center, now we are coming into the court. And to have our heart prepared for coming into the court of the king and coming in with that posture of giving thanks and blessing his name and wanting to praise him. And I know a lot of people in our church do this. So this certainly isn't to say that we don't, but just a reminder that, and for God, it's never been about the outward appearance. You talked about being dressed appropriately for prayer and that it's a spiritual dressing. We need to spiritually dress right for prayer. Be ready. 
be ready. Because the king may ask a question. Right. Right. It. You know, we usually talk about the amount of money that was given when we talk about the one Pharisee versus the widow and who go to make their Thanksgiving. And, you know, we talk about the Pharisee makes a big show of it and all this kind of stuff. And she's just very humble and gives all that she has. If those two pennies are all that she has, she's not dressed very well. She's probably wearing rags. Do you know what the And Jesus between? still says she's doing it right. And you've got the Pharisee with all of the vestment, the whole, the whole thing, just dressed to the nines. And Jesus says he's doing it wrong. So we know it's not about outward appearance. It's about inward appearance. Do you know what that looks like? What does that look like? The little old lady, she takes out two tarnished pennies. Yep. It's all she has. Mm-hmm. And she throws it in the pool. Yep. The Pharisee, yep. he just went to the bank and got some brand new $50 gold pieces. Yep. Okay. And yep. they're flashy. And he flashes them in the sun. Oh, they're newly minted. And right. just not a hint of oxidation, just bright and shiny and, and glittery. And when he throws them yep. in the water, they glisten in the water. Okay. And he gets everybody's attention. Yep. But the attention, but what got the most attention were the two tarnished pennies. Because of the intent. Yep. Well, and it's whose attention are you trying to get? Because there are there are some people out there like the Pharisee that are trying to get the attention of the other people around them. And what and did trying Jesus to get say? the praise of people. And what did Jesus say about those people? Well, Jesus, you've received your reward. Yeah, you've gotten it. But the people that are out for God's praise are destined for more and again I don't I know that there's people in our congregation that are doing this right and I am in no way shape or form saying that the people who do physically dress up and wear their Sunday best are doing something wrong I don't I don't see it that way at all actually what's interesting is some there are people out there and I'm not saying this is everybody by by any stretch but there are some people out there that by putting on a suit in the morning you know I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy so that's your work attire that's that's to other people that is not their work attire right but when I was a police officer you had a uniform. I had a uniform. And when I put on that uniform, I put on an attitude with that uniform. And I put on a state of mind in that uniform. I put on that body armor. It was not just physical. It was symbolic. And there was a mental shift. I was going to work. There is a definite change in my, in my behavior and my demeanor. I took on the authority that comes with the badge. And you also know what you were going to face. Yep. That that uniform represents i i was maybe going to battle that day uh-huh and so there's people that do the same thing with getting dressed up for church a lot of it has to do with training yep a lot of it has to do what you're accustomed to mm-hmm. it was explained to me okay if i'm going to represent somebody i better represent somebody the way that somebody 
would want to be represented. Correct. And my training is, is that don't give your second best to God. Right. Give him your very best. And by giving him your very best, he will give you his very best. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is, is that it's really, it is about a relationship with you and God, but it also says something to other people. Yep. Okay? If they ask the question why, they wouldn't be asking that question why if you weren't making a difference. Right. Okay. So the thing is, is we're called to be a peculiar people. To make, I fit that I fit that bill pretty well. I right. Think. <laughs> to to be able to be able to make a difference. A lot of people don't know something about when they go to prayer, or when they don't go to church. Do you know that when you go to prayer, and when you go to church, you're entering into a covenant relationship mm-hmm. that God has established. Yep. Okay. And some people will say, well, God just locked away his covenant relationship in a in a gold box called the Ark of the Covenant. But you know what? God's word is yea and amen forever. Yes. So that covenant is still true. A lot of people think that God is a one-way God. But God is not a one-way God. He's a bilateral God. Yep. Because covenant means is that he's made an agreement with us. And it's up to us to keep our part of the covenant, mm-hmm. which is what the commandments are all about. But very few people think about even the commandments anymore or the fact that God has made us a promise, but that promise is conditional mm-hmm. based upon the things that we know about him and the things that we're supposed to do. All too many people will focus either on God himself or on a character, let's say the Virgin Mary. Okay, yep. But the reality is, is God himself will direct your attention to the one who saved you. Yep. And it isn't God who saved you. It was the blood of his son who saved you. So in reality, this is when we pray, we need to give credit where credit's due. Yes. We need to be saying thank you to the son for his sacrifice. Now, what's interesting is, is, is we also have an enemy in heaven. And that enemy is called Satan, the Mm -hmm. liar, who comes before God to accuse us like he did with Job. Yep. And the thing is, is is that Job didn't have Jesus Christ as his advocate. But because Jesus shed his blood for us, he has an investment in us. Mm -hmm. And he actually is our high priest, so he intercedes for us. He takes our prayers, and he takes them to his Father. It's interesting that Jesus will never answer a prayer unless it's okayed by his Father. Yep. Because even Jesus, being the Son of God, knows he's subservient to the Father. Right. But a lot of us forget the fact that we need to be like Jesus be willing to accept the will of the Father, even if the Father says, I'm sorry, this is going to hurt. Because that's what he told his son. I'm sorry, but this is going to hurt. Yep. The reason I, I'm, I'm burdened by this is, and, and I'll come right out and say it, okay? Okay. I don't like seeing an empty prayer room in the sanctuary. That's fair. I like to see a prayer room being used for its intent. 
And now there are many people who walk into church on any given Sunday with burdens on their heart, but they don't know what to do with them or where to take them. But we have a room dedicated to that. We need to have people that are dedicated to work in that room to meet those people's needs. Now, many churches will you have a prayer room in order to be able to tell people more about who this Jesus Christ is. And we should be using that prayer room for that as well. But we should be using that prayer room to talk to people about what is on their hearts, what is it that they need prayer for, or who it is that they need prayer for. And the fact is, is that no one wants to stand alone. You get weary and tired. But if you know that you have a place, you have a people that are helping you with your burden, the burden becomes lighter. Yep. And so this is a burden on my heart that um, many years ago, and you know my start, okay, I started with Campus Crusade and we basically did street ministry in Boston. Yep. Okay, it wasn't come, come to church and listen to a sermon. We went in, we listened to 15 minutes and we were out on the street talking to people. So subsequently from that, of course, I got drafted into working with the Billy Graham organization. Mm -hmm. And that was 98% evangelism. The other 2% was the discipleship, the training of the people who had questions. Right. And raising them up. And so I would do that a lot. And when you work for that organization, anytime that they had an event, it was all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. Okay, you were going to be up front and ready for anything that was going to come at you, but you weren't going to be ready by what you knew. Right. You were going to be ready because of what who the Holy Spirit is and what He knew. So, my problem is it's not my problem; it's my burden. My burden is is, is that I don't think people have changed. I think that the need is as great today as it was then. That people need to know where they can go to get prayer. They know that they're invited for prayer. And people also need to know that if they have questions about who this Lord Jesus is, they need to know where to go or it's safe to be able to hear who this Lord Jesus is. Not all people accept Jesus immediately. Right. Sometimes, you know, God knows this person's life. And he, he also knows what it's going to take for this person to truly believe. Mm -hmm. One time a reporter had um, talked to Billy Graham and asked Billy Graham about all of the millions of people that he preached to. Yep. And he says, that must be a pretty good thing that you're proud of all the people that you preach to. And... Dr. Graham says, well, he says, I just spoke the words that God had laid upon my heart for those people. And he says that all of those people who came forward, he says, he says, I wish I could say, he says, that they all believed and stuck with the message. He says, but the truth is, he says, I'd be happy, he says, on the high side, if only 5% remained. And the reporter was shocked. Then when I was in seminary, we did what was called a statistical analysis mm -hmm. 
of people who come forward um, after a message. What is the success rate versus the fallout rate? Right. And out of all of the people who have heard the gospel and come forward and do something with it, it was less than one-tenth of one percent. Right. And I couldn't believe that number. I couldn't believe that number. And you know what? Now I understand what a remnant is. Yep. But I also know one other thing. How privileged you and I are to be of that one-tenth of one percent or even that five percent that Dr. Graham had hoped for. Right. The fact is, is, is that God chose us before we chose him. That is very true. Because, tell me, from based upon who Dustin Barnes is, what does Dustin Barnes, other than not having Jesus Christ, have to offer God? Hmm. Yeah, that... You know what happened? It took a motor- I, I got I got nothing. I got nothing to offer. It took a motorcycle accident for me to even acknowledge maybe there was a present God. Right. Because the doctors weren't going to be able to help me and I didn't know if I was going to wake up again. So, even mm-hmm. though I do nothing about prayer, grace heard my prayer. And he answered my prayer. And therefore, part of my prayer was, you save me, I'll come find you. Yep. If you don't save me, I can't come find you. Right. And God saved me. But you know what that thing did? Even though I got a lot of brain damage and I broke a lot of bones and I lost half my face, that um, it knocked some sense into me. Okay. The sense that it knocked in, into me is, is that I, I knew the road that I was on myself. Right. And I looked at the people before me, my other cousins, okay, other people, other uncles, other people in the family, okay, who had learned how to serve the God of money. Oh, yeah. And I looked at their lives. Yes, they had all the riches, but they were machines. They lost their humanity, okay, to their profession. Mm-hmm. And what God showed me is if you keep going down the path that you intended, you will end up like them. Mm. And therefore, the thing that it talks about that it's harder for a rich man to come to God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Yep. And the reality is is rich people won't humble themselves. Right. But the camel will. Yep. And so, not knowing that at that point in time, I knew one thing and one thing only. I knew, without knowing Jesus, I knew it was God who saved me at that moment. Yep. And the reality is, is how do you say thank you? The only way I can say thank you is by trying to get more people to see him, by giving him the thanks and the praise that he deserves, and trying to show him to other people. 
That's really all I can do. You know, I'm going to tell you another story, and it's a and it's a sorrowful story. Okay. We're running long on time, so this will be make it a story. quick story. <laughs> I've served in I've served in churches who didn't want me to talk about salvation in Jesus Christ. Really? Oh yeah, because they said it's embarrassing. I says, what's embarrassing? They says people don't want to hear about that. I says, how do you know? They says, well, they says it's disruptive to the service. So if they want to find Jesus Christ, they can find him on their own. And I says, well, how can they, even the Bible says, how can they find unless somebody tells them? Right. I says, so I says, I'm telling them. So whenever I have had an opportunity to physically preach, I've always opened the door to finding Jesus. Yes. I've always left the door open that there is a God who can hear your prayers and minister to your need. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to do something. Right. Okay, you've got to make the step towards God because God has given the invitation out to you. And a lot of pastors are afraid to throw that out. And even though they have given maybe the best message of their life, it hasn't been finished. Right. Because there is no invitation to the future. And the fact is, is that we're in the business of the invitation to eternity. Yes, we are. And if we forget that, then we're wasting God's time and we're wasting the listeners' time. Agreed. I totally agree. All right, Steve, thank you very much for a very thorough conversation today. We've covered a lot of ground, so yes, we have. <laughs> we very much appreciate you, listener, uh, sticking with us, and uh, we will catch you next week on the Classroom Thirty Three podcast. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming in. Mm-hmm.